This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Improve your development skills by completing coding exercises that are peer-reviewed by real humans. Learn more at upcase.com. Giant robots smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. My name is Ben Orenstein, and I'm here today with Sir John Hargrave. How are you, John? Good. Thanks, Ben. Uh, so you are here to uh, talk about a book you've written. Yes, it's called Mind Hacking. Awesome. So your book starts with a pretty interesting story about the Secret Service uh, coming into your house. Would you mind doing a quick uh, synopsis of that? Sure. We, at the time, were running a humor website called Zug.com. We were known for kind of epic, large-scale pranks. One of our favorite pranks was getting a credit card in the name of a well-known celebrity. And at the time, this was easy to do. You could call up your credit card company, say, I want to add an additional card holder. Mm. And because they want you to charge as much as possible, they would send you out a credit card with Michael Jackson's name on it. So I thought that pretty much the most epic prank possible would be pranking the president. Mm -hmm. So I got a credit card sent to my house in the name of Barack Obama, and with it came several uniformed officers from the United States Secret Service. Yeah, they didn't take too kindly on that. No. Apparently, the Secret Service is not only responsible for protecting the president, but also for protecting the nation's money supply. So by doing that, I had somehow got right in the crosshairs of both of their primary objectives. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, they asked for the card back, and uh, after some complicated legal legal wrangling, they got the card back. Yeah. Did you ever get to prank, pull a prank with that card, or no? Uh, I think I did make a uh, purchase for some Twizzlers at the local CBS. Okay. Yes. So it was all worth it, after all. Yeah. With the Twizzlers, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, does Zug.com exist anymore? Is that a thing still? Uh, no, we have funneled those resources into our content marketing company, Media Shower. Gotcha. Okay. Um, but so the reason that we're talking is actually because you have written a book that that story starts. And I like it. I started uh, reading it recently, and it's it kind of appeals to my uh, some of the things that I'm interested in. Um, and so I like the, the rough philosophy of the book, which is this idea of like your brain can be sort of programmed. There are things you can you can change the way your mind works, and you don't have to think of it as this automatic device that just functions in a certain way. Uh, and that's something that I've said to other people before, and something that I believe very strongly. Uh, my mom's actually a therapist, uh, and she does uh, CBT therapy, which is very much along the idea of yeah. like pay attention to the thoughts you have, and you can change these thoughts, and you know emotions flow from these thoughts, so you can actually control your emotional state by controlling your your brain and things like that. Uh, so you you sort of uh, you found a good a good target, uh, and I'm enjoying the book. But so uh, I was wondering if maybe you could uh, talk about a couple of the games that you recommend in the book. Sure. So within the book, we want to encourage you to become aware of the mind so that you can become aware of what we call your negative loops or your, your, your self-destructive or negative thoughts and reprogram those with more positive thoughts that propel your life in in positive directions and where you want to go. Mm-hmm. And we have a collection of mind games, which are uh, little mental hacks or tricks that you can practice throughout the day. One of these is called uh, Super User. And the idea is that just as there are two types of accounts, which would be like a regular user account and then a super user account, which has admin or root access, that mm-hmm. you can similarly root into your own mind. 
So you can develop the awareness that when your mind is feeding this stream of thoughts to you, that you can kind of stand back or step back or get to a higher level above your mind so that you see yourself as separate from the mind. Mm -hmm. Most of the time we go through life and when our mind feeds us an idea or a thought, we accept it without question. We identify with the mind. The mind says, you got to make a plan to go out to dinner this Friday. We just accept that without question. But by developing this super user access, we can get a step above that and then start to do the real work of figuring out how to reprogram the thoughts that we don't like, the negative thought loops. Yeah. I think that that observation that you are not your mind is yeah. so important. And, and, and I actually, I really loved your argument for it, which is you can be aware of the thing that is your mind and therefore your mind is not you. you. There is some other thing that is you and your mind is a different thing. But we're very used to thinking of the thoughts that we have in our mind as being ourselves. Yeah, the analogy I like to use is going to the movies. And before the movies are the trailers. And everybody's like cracking jokes during the trailers. Nobody's really caught up in the trailer very much except to make fun of them. And then the movie starts, and if you're like me, you find yourself analyzing the movie. You're still not really lost in it. But then there comes a point, if the movie's any good, where you do become lost in the movie. You identify so strongly with that movie that you and the movie kind of become one. And our minds are the same way. Most of us walk around with our minds being the movie. The mind is this thing that I identify with so strongly that I can't pull myself back. So as you just said, the logical test here is, can I see my mind? Can I visualize my mind? And if so, I'm not my mind. I'm something different from my mind. I'm something separate. And that's the first step to mind hacking is really developing that awareness on a regular day-to-day basis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think the first mind game that you have in there is you, uh, for a number of days, the goal is to simply catch yourself a number of times and say, what was my mind just thinking? Yeah. And I like this. I like the wording of that question in particular. Like what was my mind? What was I thinking about? What was my mind thinking? Right. Our language gives it away that we usually say, what was I thinking? But that's wrong because it's really what was my mind just thinking. And so the wording of that is is designed to pull you back from that Mm -hmm. and start to see the mind as like an operating system. The mind is like this environment that you can, again, get into that super user mode. You can stand back and then start to consciously uh, debug it and mm-hmm. then reprogram it. That is such a powerful ability is to realize that the, everything you think is not true. There's like an aphorism that I love, which is don't believe everything you think. Yeah. Which I totally love. Like we have this, this, this habit of if a thing, a thought fires in my mind, it is true. Yeah. Like if you're, st- if you're sitting at your desk and you think, God, I'm such an idiot. You never stop and question that. It just comes across as pure truth because it happened in in you. You just know this. It's in your mind. Um, But if you're able to sort of step back a little bit and say, that's an automatic thought that was generated by my brain, but is it true? Well, actually, no, it doesn't seem like it is true when I compare, you know, against evidence and past experience and all this. But we have this natural tendency of accepting as total fact anything that just gets generated like that. Yeah, that's exactly it. You've captured it perfectly, Ben. And I think that you uh, have to be able to capture especially the problem thoughts. So the ones that are causing you pain or causing you difficulty or leading to problems in your life. And those are the ones that you especially want to be aware of. You just mentioned 
thinking I'm an idiot or I'm no good or I'm not able to finish projects or I'll never find true love or whatever those negative thoughts that kind of go through our minds are. So becoming aware of those is really the critical task of mind hacking. Then we can start to find uh, new code loops, reprogramming those thought patterns in a way that, again, gets us to to where we want to go in life. Mm -hmm. Where did these ideas come from for you? My mind. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I've done a lot of reading. Um, I was a patient of your mother's. No, that's a joke. I was not. (laughs) That would be some kind of weird ethical. That would be amazing. Conflict of interest. Um, But we were lovers. Sure. No, that's a joke also. (laughs) She's a lovely woman, though. I'm she pretty really sure you're is. the first uh, podcast guest to drop a your mom joke on me. <laughs> yeah, no, I've done a lot of reading. And as I talk about in the beginning of the book, uh, the decision to get sober. So the decision to stop drinking was a huge step in my own journey to figuring this out. And I realized that a lot of what was keeping me in the addictive loop, which is another kind of negative thought loop, negative mm-hmm. thought pattern. Mm-hmm were these types of things we're talking about. And as you just said, not being able to detach myself from my mind enough to say, okay, here's mind. We're not going to think that anymore. We're going to start thinking this, of reprogramming my mind. Mm-hmm. So the, the journey to sobriety was an enormous help for me in clarifying these concepts and getting them into a format that I could share with yeah. everyone else. Is that kind of what made you write this book? Yeah, well, I hope that not only will it help folks who struggle with addiction, but also I'm an entrepreneur, so it will help folks who have a dream to start their own business or they have a big project that they're passionate about that they want to achieve, uh, or they have, again, areas of pain or problems in their life, whether that's with relationships or with family or with money, and that they can get a handle on those feelings of anxiety and depression and turn them around for the better. Yeah, brain control is one of the just has such incredible leverage on what you're able to do. Yeah, and when I when I teach uh, new programmers, one of the first things that I always say is, uh, "This is hard. It's supposed to be hard. You're going to feel frustrated. You're going to feel inadequate or dumb, and that's just totally normal. And you have to push through that. Expect those things to happen, and and keep going anyway." Because if you surrender to those ideas, then you will not learn this great thing that's worthy and, and worthwhile. Um, and so having some extra control on your brain can cause you to push through that and achieve far greater things. Yeah, it's a huge leverage point. It changes everything. Yeah. Because when you can start to work on the underlying thought patterns that drive everything you do, that drive who you are, they permeate every area of your life. They have just a enormously positive influence mm-hmm. over everything that you do and everything you produce. That's the exciting part about this. Right. The mind comes with you everywhere. Yeah. Through all your waking hours. Yeah. So if you have a little control over that, that that's pretty important. I remember in one of your earlier podcasts, you mentioned one of your, your first CS teacher at UMass mm-hmm. and how he said, this is hard. Mm-hmm. This class will be really hard, yep. and how that totally inspired and motivated you. Yes. 
So you just said that again, that this is hard stuff, and you pass that on to your students now as mm-hmm. you're helping develop them. Yeah, his point of view was slightly different. Like, he was saying, this is hard, so therefore, you know, heads up, this is going to be difficult for you. I'm usually trying to say, like, you know, it's hard, but so it's not you. Don't freak out. Uh, he was a little more challenging, which happened to work for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it depends on who you're talking to. Uh, in my case, I was—I had never had a professor like sit, stand in front of people and say, like, you know, a lot of you are not going to keep going in this class. It's going to be too hard for some of you. And just for me in particular, that was uh, was great. And so what was it about that that flipped that switch for you? So in other words, I want to hack your mind for yeah. a moment, Ben, yep. and just figure out up to that point, you said you weren't a very good student. You weren't interested in school. And so why that moment? Hmm. I'm not sure exactly. I think it was that I really wanted to impress him. Mm-hmm. I, like I just instantly sort of re- I respected this person based on the way he carried himself and, and the classes he was teaching and what he was doing. Um, I think that was part of it was like, this is suddenly I, I really care about this person. I think, so I think that was part of it. But I also think it was just that I don't think anyone had ever I don't think a teacher had ever taken that point of view, which is like this class is hard. I know it's hard. I want it to be hard and it might be too hard for you. No one had ever kind of like thrown down the gauntlet for me in that way before that I recall. It was always sort of uh, a little bit more middle of the road in school. So I think it was it appealed to my sense of challenge. And it was also kind of this was of all the areas that I was familiar with that I had um, experience in computers was sort of my I started at an early age. I always had been, I loved them. I was very passionate. So I had a lot of experience more than a lot of people. So I found that when they were teaching computer related things in school, mm-hmm. I was generally pretty far ahead of that curve. And so it was kind of like someone stepped up and said, you know, this is, this is the hardest of the things, but you're kind of good at this thing, but maybe you can't actually hack it. And it's just the combination of all those factors really clicked for me. I think mastery is one of the great human motivators. Mm. And especially as gigs, as technical people, mastery is very motivating for us. Mm. And that's why whether your geek obsession is programming or whether it's like memorizing complicated riffs on the ukulele, you can spend hours working on that thing and just developing a sense of everything there is to know about this thing. Mm -hmm. And so I think it what I'm hearing is it was that mastery challenge for you. Yeah. One thing that I had forgotten was that he introduced, I think on the first day, he said, here's a packet of a hundred problems. And they went from, you know, very extremely easy to extremely hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said, you know, your grade is basically determined by how many of these you get through. And so there was this promise at the end, like, wow, at the end of this class, I'm going to be able to do these problems in the back that I'm seeing, like, look, you know, completely inc- incomprehensible now. And so it was, there was that, like, I could see the mastery I was going, you know, purportedly going to have. And that was super appealing, as has always been appealing to me. Yeah. And with mind hacking, I think we're taking that same sense of mastery and we're training it on our most powerful tool, which is our own minds. So we're taking that laser-like focus and kind yeah. of reversing it back on ourselves. That's why geeks, that's why technical people, I think, are so good at mind hacking and have so much potential for that because we do have that technical ability and also the mental precision that's necessary Mm. for really figuring out how does our mind work and how can we make it work better. Yeah. Do you meditate? I do. And a big piece of the mind hacking program is a meditation program. We call it concentration training because Mm -hmm. that's really what it is. It basically involves in the morning 
sitting for 20 minutes in quiet and focusing on your breath. So you take a minute or two to just physically relax your body and then you spend about 20 minutes just focusing on the breath. And what invariably happens is your mind will start running off on some tangent, whether that's what you have to do today or a fragment of a conversation or something else. And it will seem seductive and irresistible at the time. And you will chase your mind and then you'll become aware of that and say, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be focusing on my breath. And it's maddening how difficult it is, especially if you're just starting. But what it does is teaches you, again, to delineate between me and my mind. So it teaches you to say, okay, I have control over my mind. I can bring it back to the breath. I can focus it once again on, on my breath. And I can do that again and again. So it's like a kind of mental exercise or strength training. And mm -hmm. it has just transformed my life. And uh, I really encourage it for everybody. Mm. Why do you feel like that transformation happened? Well, I think that there is, first of all, a, an enormous amount of research that shows that this kind of concentration training not only does make us more focused and more calm, it also has physical benefits. Uh, people who do this kind of training are healthier. Uh, they're happier. They they report that they actually have a, a greater sense of well-being over mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And for me, it allows me, again, to see the mind for what it is, which is a tool or an operating system, and it enables me to see myself as separate from that. So I can act as the programmer, the developer who is operating on this tool called my mind, and to make that delineation throughout the day. So the, the benefits of it last far beyond that 20 minutes. It's really about living the rest of your life in a more clear and focused and effective way. Hmm. Do you feel like your personality changed as you meditated more? I would say that it changed for the better. So I am definitely calmer. <laughs> I'm you have a calm way about you. Thank I you. Say. Yeah, I definitely more more focused and more at peace. And I find myself often being the person in a group when everything's going crazy, the one that can kind of act as that center <laughs> or mm -hmm. that gravitational force that can kind of make the, the good decision. And, you know, I run uh, an internet marketing company. So as CEO, I feel that it gives me a tremendous competitive advantage that even while all these problems are coming in on any given day, that I can maintain that, that poise and that focus and that clarity of mind to, to make effective decisions. Hmm. So you you run a content marketing business. This book doesn't seem to have like a very direct link to that. Like it doesn't seem like this is obviously content marketing for the content marketing business, uh, or is it? No, there's no selling of our yeah. <laughs> company in there. We don't. There's no final page that says, "By the way, right. go to mediashower.com and get fifteen percent off your first order." Sure. So is this just a, a labor of love? It is. It is. I really want to share what I've learned with everybody else, especially with the development, with the technical community, mm -hmm. because I think that we are the community that can affect the most change in the world. I think that we are building the infrastructure for modern society. So I think this is where the greatest point of leverage is in your listeners, hmm. the people who are listening to yeah, this. Th that's interesting. That's, that was another one of my questions, which is why, why this niche? 
why is it mind hacking and not you know some other you know mind control for artists or something i think it was mark andreessen who said software is eating the world yeah and it's true if you look at how the internet how technology is taking over every aspect of modern life Developers are the ones who make that happen. Developers are the ones who are building that foundation that is going to be the future of the human race for generations to come. We're in the midst of a really exciting time. And developers are also the ones, again, who have that sense of technical proficiency and of curiosity. And just thinking about the word hack in its true sense to mean an elegant fix to a difficult technical problem, mm -hmm. an elegant shortcut. Developers are the ones who come up with that, with hacks. And, uh, and that's what makes it so exciting and fun to work, work with this community. Mm. So you published the book under a Creative Commons license. Yeah, so we are trying an experiment which will be nothing new to you or your listeners, but which is radical for the publishing industry. Mm -hmm. So the print version of the book is published by Simon & Schuster's Gallery Books. It will be out in January 2016, or was out, depending on when you're listening to this. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, we have made the entire book available for free on the web via Gitbook and under a Creative Commons license. And the idea has been to open source the book, mm -hmm. to put it out there and to get feedback on how the program works for people. And I, first of all, credit my publishers for having the courage to do this because this is really game-changing within the publishing industry. Mm -hmm. Your basic <laughs> intuition would say, well, if you're giving it away for free, why would anybody buy this book? Mm -hmm. And they're really taking a gamble with this. But I have to say already the benefits of putting it out there have been huge. So the typical book publishing process, Ben, is you have uh, an editor and you have maybe a handful of test readers. So you write your book, you send your manuscript in, your editor gives you some feedback, your family and friends read it, and of course they all tell you it's great, <laughs> and then you put it to print, right? And then <laughs> that's it. Now. Instead of those six people with this, uh, I think we've gotten like 6,000 reads or something like that on Gitbook so far. Mm. And the response and feedback that we've received has been just fantastic because people have told us this part works, this part doesn't work. We've been able to watch. So we've been able to do data analysis to figure out where people kind of get hung up in the program, where they stop reading, and been able to kind of change those parts of the book. So we've had like 6,000 test readers instead, and it's mm -hmm. really just enabled us to make such a, a better book. I will never go back to the old way again. Interesting. That's great. So your, your name is Sir John Hargrave. Yes. And the Sir is an official name change that you made? Yes. As opposed to a, a royal title conferred by the Queen? <laughs> well, the story is that I wrote the Queen, and I asked if she would knight me. Mm-hmm. Because I thought Sir John Hargrave just sounded classic. Had a nice, has a nice ring to it. Yeah. So she wrote me back and said, first of all, you have to do something noble. I thought, well, that's way too hard. Yeah. And second, you're not a British citizen. <laughs> so uh, I went to the county courthouse, and anybody can legally apply to change their name for a small fee. You go in before a judge, and you have a short hearing, and then they 
officially change your name. So I thought that was a much faster and easier <laughs> route to knighthood. Mm -hmm. And so lo and behold. How long ago was that? That was maybe about eight years ago now. How do you feel about this now? Like, are you, are you glad you did it? Was it, is it, do you think of it as like a funny thing? Is it a joke? Is it serious? Like how, what, what's your perspective on this? Yes. Yeah. It's all these things. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. It's, 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 it's notable. <laughs> also, there's a 10% discount at Arby's. I'm sh yeah, I'm if sure. If you're a knight. Not many people know that. Yeah. That's, that's good to know. So tell me about uh, the concentration discussion in the book. So I believe that we are bombarded with messages and alerts and pop-ups to basically fracture our concentration, to shatter. They are designed to shatter our concentration. Mm -hmm. We have a myth that we believe that we're good at multitasking. Mm -hmm. And all of the research says we're not. With every additional task you try to take on simultaneously, the performance on all the tasks goes down mm -hmm. across the board. There's no question. And yet we all believe that somehow I'm different <laughs> and mm -hmm. I'm the one who can successfully multitask. Mm -hmm. And app designers and software designers know this, right? And we purposely put in ways of interrupting our users' flow of everyday life in order to encourage them to use our service, whether that's a text messaging or instant messaging or software updates or alerts, whatever that thing is, we're trying to grab people's attention so that we can get them to use our product. Yep. And we have to take that back. We have to take control consciously over those interruptions. And in the book, we talk about mental decluttering. I guess it's a little bit like defragging a hard drive, but it's basically consciously going through all of the elements in your life that interrupt your flow, that interrupt that concentration and turning them off and getting rid of them. Mm -hmm. Developers especially know what the sense of flow is like because you know when you're really in the zone and you're down there and you're six levels deep and you're really working on something, you got your headphones on and then somebody taps you on the shoulder and they're like, hey, just want to know if you got my memo on that thing. I can see you're busy. Don't worry. And you're like, you've just ruined my concentration for the next day. And you know it's going to take you another 20, 25 minutes of getting back into that spot where you were at. Mm -hmm. So what you want to do is consciously cultivate a lifestyle or an environment around yourself that minimizes those distractions, that allows you to get into that deep concentration, that sense of flow, so you can do your best work. Mm -hmm. I think that's so, so important. And I'm actually shocked at the number of people I see trying to write code with pop-ups happening everywhere. When I really need to get stuff done, I have to, I close down everything and it makes me a little bit less available, but I, I think that is the totally the cost of actually being a productive software person or almost a productive anything really, but particularly when I'm trying to write code, I really have to just be aggressive about it. everything goes off. No Slack notifications, no email, no phone, just I need to be, I put in earplugs, I'll often grab a conference room. Like I, that, that to me is just, there's a huge difference between what I can get done when I'm really focused and isolated versus when I'm responding every few minutes to something that pings or flashes. 
Yeah, developing is an is an interesting activity because it does require, at least to do it well, does require that deep level of focus and concentration. It's not like answering email; like you can take that in little bits and pieces. Mm -hmm. You can get interrupted because there's no context. Like each email has its own context, and it doesn't yeah. take long to load those up. You're not in an environment, yep. right? And um, I think for most people, their jobs who are not developers, their their jobs enable them to get by with a lot shallower concentration. Mm -hmm. And so they're not familiar with that state of deep focus, that state of flow. And so it's hard for them to understand why you need to have the headphones on mm -hmm. and not be interrupted and have the conference room all to yourself. But you do. Mm -hmm. I would understand it more if I didn't see so many developers that do it. That's the thing. I think I think there is this myth, this pervasive myth that like I can do I can do both. Like these interruptions aren't hurting me much, and I just I think there's no truth to that for for anybody. Even even very solid, very strong developers like you still everyone's attention is fragile and can be destroyed by these things. Yeah. When I talk to people about this, almost everyone says like, well, you you have to be available, and you ha I have to be able to I have to be able to respond to this thing, or, or and. and I think people overestimate how quickly they need to respond. Maybe I might just be uh, making all this up and like people think I'm very unresponsive, but I happily shut stuff down when I need, or I, I very willingly shut stuff down and it seems to basically be okay. You know, if you come back to that message an hour later or, you know, that email, it always seems to be fine. But those, the time that I've carved out is precious and totally worth, you know, maybe someone has to wait a little bit longer for an answer on something. Technology is an addiction. It is our true societal addiction. And I say this as a great lover of technology. I am a geek to my bones. But at the same time, there is a sense of I have to check in my email every 15 minutes or the universe will explode. Mm -hmm. Or I have to have my instant messenger up or my Skype available at right. all times or I won't be there. And the truth is, if you can discipline yourself and develop the habit of turning those things off or of rationing your intake of email, for example, you can become much more productive, much more successful, and your mind really can become much more calm and at peace. Mm -hmm. And so, so worth doing. Uh, so where can people get uh, the book if they're interested? If you're listening to this after January 2016 at your local bookstore, and by the way, what is the future like? Does everyone wear robes? Can you send back stock tips for us, please? If you're listening to this after January 16th, 2016, then in any bookstore, mm -hmm. anywhere, and otherwise, you can visit us online at Mind. Hacky.ng, mind hacking with a dot ng. No dot com. Gotcha. Dot ng. Your audience will get that. They're good. They're good. Yeah. That's I got to be a little bit more clear, you know, when I'm talking with a group of school teachers. Fair enough. Yeah. I think we got it though. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks very much for being on. I appreciate you. And also, thanks for coming by the uh, the office. This is sweet. Yeah. Today's show was produced and edited by Tom Obarski. If you'd like to access the show notes of this episode, you can go to giantrobots.fm slash 140. Thanks for listening.